the Mac Observers, Mac Geek Gab, episode number 632 for Sunday, November 20th, 2016. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observers, Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We share your questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We've got a little bit of each of that today here because the goal is for all of us to learn at least four new things each and every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com with their Thunderbolt 3 dock that we mentioned during the content portion of the show last week. Barebones Software with BB Edit as Longtime listeners will know. And Videoblocks at videoblocks.com slash MGG, where you can get a one-year subscription for just $149. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. How is it today, John F. Braun? How are you? Uh, it's kind of hazardous, man. Really? What are you hazarding? Hazard a guess? Oh, well, we got a hazardous weather outlook. Really? That's kind of Apparently, weird. Uh, the winds are going to kick up a bit today. All right. Tomorrow. Huh. Well. They blow things over and uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll make it through the episode here and I won't lose power. Stay safe. Yeah. 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 That's always a drag. We've had that. Uh, I, 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 I know that scenario. Hey, uh, let's, uh, let's dive right in because we've got a lot to go through today. Next week, uh, we will be doing our router deep dive. Um, so. And we've got you you folks have been great sending in questions. We're really going to focus on wireless routers and and the wireless portion and why all the new technology matters. Uh, A big focus of it will be mesh stuff, but we'll talk about extenders and sort of the whole the whole picture of that. But um, but yeah, send in your your stuff. Feedback at MacGeekUp.com is the the right place to uh, to send in those questions. And we'll be prepping that show probably early in the week because it's Thanksgiving here in the U.S. So make sure you get those questions in. Right, John? Right. Okay. Uh, going to Bruce. Bruce asks, he says, previous to... Sierra, you could display a virtual on-screen keyboard through system preferences keyboard with which you could do certain things like press a key, which isn't working on your real world keyboard. As far as I can see, this is no longer available in Sierra. Has this moved to some other obscure place or has this functionality simply disappeared? And uh, yeah, it it actually is still there. You just kind of go about it a different way. If you go to system preferences keyboard, right where you uh, were looking And then go to show keyboard, check the box that says show keyboard and emoji viewers in the menu bar. Uh, Then you get a new little keyboard menu up in the, and this is actually true in both Sierra and El Capitan. I think the change happened just before El Capitan. Uh, You get a new little keyboard menu up in your menu bar and you can choose to uh, show keyboard viewer or show emoji and symbols and, uh, and, Either one of those will appear on your screen and you can see, and it's kind of weird because as you're typing, you get to see which keys are being pressed and, and all that good stuff. So that's where it lives now and uh, for the foreseeable future. So uh, it actually lives in more than one place. All I right. started looking at this. Yeah. If you click on input sources. Yes. 
There's a show input menu menu bar that seems to put something very similar. So, yeah, that allows you to pick different keyboards. You can have your right. You can have your um, U.S. keyboard or you could have, uh, you know, a Katakana keyboard or whatever it is that you want. That's not going to show you the keyboard, though, when you choose it. It's related. Right. But but different. Or am I am I misinterpreting what you're suggesting here, Mr. Braun? No, no, you're right. Yeah, it's, okay. it's, a, it's a little, it's a different, different it, way of getting there, I think. Well, I don't think it's going to show you the keyboard on screen, but maybe it does. I don't seem to, even though I have the show input menu. Oh, that's interesting. It It is the same. Huh. You're right. So even though it the, the checkbox does the same thing, despite two different labels, at least for me on El Capitan, because I'm still on El Capitan here in the studio because of Tascam and their drivers and all of that stuff. That's really bizarre. So yeah, I guess if I'm... I had multiple keyboards here, would it, um, would I, I could no. Okay. So here's the thing. If you only have one keyboard selected in the input sources menu, that checkbox um, displays what I would call the, um, the keyboard slash emoji menu. However, if you have more than one keyboard in your input sources, that checkbox changes and the icon for that checkbox matches the keyboard that you have selected. So for me right now, it's an American flag because I have the U S keyboard ex- uh, selected. And then below that, you get these other options that we talked about show keyboard viewer, show emojis and symbols. And then, uh, and then you can get back to either input sources or keyboard preferences from that menu as well. So it is, it is, but one menu for the keyboard, even though it's named different things and different things will happen depending on what options you have chosen elsewhere. So that's yeah. pretty interesting. And on my Sierra machine, there's an additional dictation tab under keyboard. Oh, yeah, that makes not, sense. Yep. I don't see one on my mini here, though I may not see it because, well, no, shouldn't I? No. So I, I here's another way to show the emoji viewer. Um, if you are in a text field uh, and then press command and control keys on your keyboard. Oh, uh, maybe not. That's supposed to do it. Oh, that's You're so close. Okay. What am I missing, John? I know there's one. I hadn't prepped this. Control. I, I forget this one too. Control command space. Oh, it's control command space. Okay. Brings up the emoji viewer. Is that right? No. For me, it's bringing up um, a, a spotlight thing on this machine. Yeah, both my machines, if I hold down control but command the, space. Oh, con- I'm, using, I'm using control options. Sorry, John. Yeah, you're totally right. Com- control command space. Yeah, that's right. Nice. Cool. Thank you, Bruce. Wow. For, I think for, we just learned four things. Uh, yeah, there's our four things. There. Thanks, folks. We'll see you next week. That's right. <laughs> All right. Giles has, uh, has an interesting question. He asks, uh, I was heartened to hear Dave put the new Mac purchasing into the family setting uh, in Mac Ecap 629. Getting myself sorted is always the least of my worries. It's what happens further downstream when the chain of older Macs all moving on to different homes invariably causes problems. At the end of my current line is a late 2008 unibody MacBook that, as far as I can tell, will go as far as OS 10.11 El Capitan, but not Sierra. It's seen a few hardware upgrades in its time and 
has an SSD and its full complement of 8 gigs of RAM. The first question is, with the specs above, would you recommend going all the way to El Capitan, or is there an accepted best OS for older machines like this? My second question is about practicalities. Of course, I'll clone their drive and update all their software in advance, but having done a few a, f- a fresh install of my chosen OS, I intend on doing a quick and dirty restore from their latest Time Machine backup. If I'm going all the way back to 10.11, should I update the OS to El Capitan on their old machine first, or will Migration Assistant handle the fact that I'm trying to restore onto a different version of the OS? So the quick answer is Time Machine's usually pretty good about taking stuff from an older OS like you're talking about and bringing it forward. Generally not as good at, at the opposite of bringing newer stuff back. Although I've seen that work in limited, you know, in limited cases. So I, I, I think you're going to be fine with the, uh, with the time machine or the migration assistant portion of this. Um, when considering an older OS, I, you know, for this machine with eight gigs of Ram, I think El Capitan's going to be okay. Um, it, it's, um, I, it's hard to say though. Um, thoughts on the, how much RAM do you have in your, uh, and we're talking about a MacBook, not a MacBook pro here, John, but you have a 2012 MacBook, right? And, and pro. that's MacBook pro, right, right, right. And that's running Sierra just fine for you, right? Yes. And I put, um, and it's a four core, um, and I put 16 in it just yeah. because I can, I don't know if I can put in more, but 16 is no, I think that's the limit. Yeah. It's fine for what I use it for. Yeah. And my Mini, uh, which I haven't upgraded yet, it's still on El Capitan, uh, that has eight and that also runs just fine. How many cores? That's only two. Interesting. Okay, so, all right, so this helps This helps put all this in perspective because the machines that I have that are dual core machines with four or six gigs of RAM seem to have real trouble with uh, El Capitan and Sierra. But... That eight gig of RAM number seems to be kind of the magic thing right now. So, uh, you know, I feel like, I mean, here's the thing, Giles, you, you know, you're not, I, I realize you don't want to spend every waking hour migrating OSs around, but um, it's not like you're making a decision that is irreversible the moment you make it. Um, if, if the intended user has problems with this machine with El Capitan, you can always downgrade it. Um, you'll, You'll have to deal with a little bit of migration stuff manually, as we just mentioned, but I think you'll be okay. I, I would say El Capitan on this one. Thoughts, John? You got a vote? Mm, yeah, El, El Capitan. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I don't think you ever want to go more than three releases back because I think my observation, I don't know if it's documented anywhere. But they, they tend to stop releasing updates of any sort uh, for an OS that is more than three. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think you're going to be okay with El Capitan on this. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, that's still fairly recent. John, listener John has a question, and I'm hoping you have more of an answer than I have for this one. He says, I'm having an issue with some apps, specifically Chrome, automatically loading every time I log in to Sierra. I verified that open at login is not selected in the launch bar. I have verified that it is not set to launch under my user profile. I have checked the old launch locations, library launch agents, home library launch agents. I even purchased a copy of Lingon X and removed everything that had Google in it. Chrome still launches every single time I log in. 
What is even odder is that I have a couple of apps that I have specifically marked to auto load at login via my user profile that do not load. I've tried everything I could find via Google searches and nothing has helped. Have you guys seen this behavior before? And or do you have any suggestions not only to get rid of Chrome launching, but uh, actually get the, the other apps to auto launch? Um, so. I have a similar problem. I can get things to launch that I put in launch um, login items or, or, you know, launch agents or any of that. But I have a couple of things. Uh, there's a this thing it's called desk app. It's a client for WhatsApp that I no longer want to launch on my Mac. And yet it launches every time. And, uh, and I think team viewer is launching constantly on my Mac and I can't find that either in any of these places. So John, what are we missing? Where else can we look? Do you know? Yes. Oh, I, I am so, this was not a setup, folks. I, I really didn't know what answer John was, as well, always, I, think, I didn't know what I, answer John was going to give. I mean, as far as I know, it's a, a deprecated way of starting things up at startup. Okay. So as far as I know, all right, so that there's a few different library folders lurking about. I believe one is at the top level of your hard drive. I think there's another in system yeah. library and then your user directory. Right. Library. Okay. Right. Well, and he so talks about the, that launch agents yeah. in, in yeah, two I get of those it. folders. Okay. All right. So yeah. the thing is, as far as I know, there are not two, but three places um, where things could be. And I think that the, I hope this is the magic answer. Otherwise I'm at a loss here. Sure. So then there are three folders within the library folder that will contain things that happen on startup. One is launch agents, one is launch daemons, and another is called startup items. Oh, startup items. Because Remember? I think I think Lingon will look in launch agents and launch demons or launch daemons. Correct. We're not going to have that argument right now. <clears throat> but um, but yeah, I forgot about startup items. Oh, dude. And I see that folder, and I'm, not, I'm almost certain that they don't want it. I think if there's stuff now, the thing is I look through my various ones very quickly and I don't have anything in, in any of them. I'll, yeah. I'll double check again, because again, they're, you know, those three folders, the three folders yeah. that may have things that, that run on startup. Um, that's the third one that we all kind of forgot about because I think they, they really don't want you to use that. Very cool. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And in addition to Lingon, folks in the chat room are recommending something from Somazone called Launch Control. So we'll put a link to that in uh, in the show notes too, just to uh, just to have some other options here. But uh, but yeah, I'm a Lingon I'm a Lingon person as well. So very cool. Thank you, Mr. Braun. I appreciate that. I'm going to take a look at that when uh, when we finish the show here. Um, all right, John, you want to take us to Michael? Yeah, you could look now because I'm going to take us to Michael. All right. And, um, and Michael uh, actually contacted me uh, directly on Twitter. And if you want to know where to reach me on Twitter, I'm John F. Braun. If you want to reach him, he's Dave Hamilton. Please keep in mind that uh, neither of those handles uh, represent the opinions uh, or stated positions of either MacGeekGab or MacObserver, which are the two other handles. And then to round it out, though, of course, there's Pilot Pete. All on Twitter. I miss Pilot Pete. We gotta, we gotta get him back here. Piloting. Easy. I know, I know. But anyways, right. so um, so Michael had an interesting question, 
And uh, I've run into this in the past. So wait, hold on. There he is. Okay, so he sent it on Twitter here. So Michael says, hi, John. Safari, Chrome, and Google Drive say I'm not connected to the internet on my MacBook Pro. Everything else says I am. Thoughts? And my thought was, I would look in system preferences, network, interface, whatever interface you happen to be connected. You know, it could be Wi-Fi, could be Ethernet, whatever. Advanced proxies. And to make sure one is not set by accident. And his reply was, boom, you're a genius. Dude, that's <laughs> Thank awesome. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> so here, here's an I've run into this before. And now you may be asking yourself, what is a proxy server? I mean, the name of it kind of implies what it does. So proxy means you're doing something on someone's behalf. And this was a technology that I think some people still deploy. It's, it's a way to control and monitor access to a service. So if you have an HTTP or web proxy... Um, what happens is your browser will connect to that and then connect to the internet and then it will return the, uh, the results back to you. But the problem is if you don't actually have a proxy server set up, then it's going to say something like Michael saw, which is what? <laughs> so he must've just had one of those boxes checked and I, I you know, it could have been a random bit flip in the operating system or a file getting P-list file getting corrupt. Who knows? But, um, it could it? it could also have been um, it's installing some other piece of software may have asked for for uh, not root permissions, but, you know, authenticated permissions, which would then allow you or allow it to make that change. Because I've seen things do that when you're, you know, when you're installing some enterprise thing or something that, that requires a proxy server, because there, there are there are cases where that makes good sense. Um, there were actually some ISPs. Maybe they still exist. Uh, blue. Oh, what was the satellite provider that had blue in its name? They required you to use a proxy server in order to connect. Um, you know, that was years ago. I mean, it, it, but it, but it can happen. So here's the interesting thing in his note to you. He mentioned Safari, Chrome and Google drive. And indeed all of those read OS tens or Mac OSs proxy settings or network settings, but, but specifically the proxy settings. If he had tried Firefox, it would have worked. Well, it would not have been impacted. Firefox's own proxy settings might have been corrupted or changed, but Firefox does not read the OS 10 proxy settings, which can be a handy thing. If you have some scenario where you need to use a proxy uh, by doing it with Firefox, you won't, impact the rest of your system you just impact your browsing session um, inside firefox so just a uh, just a little tidbit to to share there yeah, good stuff. They, have, yeah. they have to be a little different though yeah well yeah right well because chrome uses webkit uh to to do its its work firefox does different stuff that doesn't mean that it has to use the proxy settings but it is just sort of the, the, the byproduct of that so yeah it's good stuff um, you know what I want to do, John? I want to talk about our, uh, our three sponsors here, if that's okay. Okay. All right. So the first one that I want to start with, as I mentioned in the pre-show is Otherworld computing, maxsales.com and their Thunderbolt dock. Uh, it's their Thunderbolt three dock. So it's available for pre-order. Now we were talking about this in the, in the last show, because somebody was asking, how do I get all of my stuff plugged in to my new uh, MacBook or MacBook Pro. 
uh, of course, that has nothing but USB-C ports um, uh, on the, uh, uh, it, but this would only work on the MacBook Pro because not all USB-C ports are equal. The Thunderbolt 3 dock only works on things that have Thunderbolt 3 capable USB C ports. And we'll talk about that in a minute too, because Otherworld Computing has got a great link to explain the differences in all those ports. But I think that's coming later in Cool Stuff Found. So I might have just, I might have just uh, broken the ice on that. Uh, 13 ports on this thing. Okay. Uh, it's got an SD card reader, audio in and out, and USB 3.1 Gen 1. That's on the front. And then on the back, it's got four more USB 3.1 Gen 1 ports, an SBDIF port port for uh, for digital audio, FireWire 800, gigabit Ethernet, dual Thunderbolt 3 USB-C ports, which means one can go to your uh, to your MacBook Pro and then one can go down the chain or, or to whatever it is that you want. Uh, and then it's got a mini display port. Port for displays does not indicate that those are for Thunderbolt 2 stuff. So you would need something else for that. Uh, and then, of course, power, because we all need power. So this is uh, available for $279 in the pre-order. That's 20 bucks off of the retail price of $299. You got to check it out. Go visit them at MaxSales.com. Our second sponsor, Video Blocks. These folks know what they're doing. Video blocks really makes it truly simple to go and get like stock video, B-roll video footage, whatever you want. And the coolest part is their, their website makes this super easy. You just put in searches. They, they have kind of some, some pre-built searches because they know the type of stuff that you'd be looking for. If you're doing any kind of video production, um, you know, I'm making a my, my, with my son, we're making a, a hockey highlight reel because he's applying to a, a, a different program in, in a different school. And uh, and so we're thinking about using, you know, like some crowd shots or whatever. And we could use them from video blocks makes it really easy. So you just go any type crowd shots. And now you just start seeing these things. And as you float over them in your browser, it just shows them to you. And then, of course, you can dig deeper and get more details. Everything that you get from video blocks Simple, unrestricted licensing, 100% royalty free, even after your subscription has come to an end. So whatever you get during the course of your subscription there, free for you to use, royalty free after the fact. So you can embed it in something. You don't have to worry about paying the subscription just to keep that stuff uh, licensed. And here's the deal. Normally a subscription is $249. If you visit videoblocks.com slash MGG, you can get a one-year subscription for just $149, and that comes with a subscription to AudioBlocks, which is very similar to VideoBlocks, but with audio snippets. So you got to check this out. Visit videoblocks.com slash MGG to get your VideoBlocks one-year subscription for just $149. Check it out. Our thanks to VideoBlocks for sponsoring this episode. And of course, our friends at Barebones Software barebones.com the makers of bb edit one of my favorite tools and yeah i say this all the time it's crazy that i am crazy about a text editor but i use it for so much different stuff first of all it's great for what i call sanitizing text you ever copy text from a web page 
and then paste it into an email. And it's like bah, barfing all this weird formatting and stuff all over the place. Paste it into BB Edit first. BB Edit only works with text. Paste it in. Copy. Now the stuff that's on your clipboard is only text. You can paste it into a, an email. You don't have to lose all the rest of your formatting by converting to plain text. The rest of your email, because you're pasting this in as plain text, it inherits whatever formatting you have. And that's not just true of emails. That's true if you want to take something from a web page and paste it into, say, a pages document. Once you go through BB Edit, convert it to plain text, you're good to go. You can also count the number of words that you have. In fact, it keeps a running count down in the lower left corner. It'll count the number of characters, count the number of lines. You can do multi-file searches. So if you've got a folder full of stuff, you can point a search at that folder and it'll find it. And then you can actually do multi-file find and replace. So if you've got a folder full of stuff and you need to change one thing throughout that folder, man, it's all right there. I, there's so many things, anything that you would want to do with text, BB Edit lets you do it. It's so cool. It's not, and I, you'll, you'll notice throughout this spot, I haven't mentioned anything that would be unique to people using this only for programming. So, so much stuff you can do with BB Edit. You got to check it out. Go download your free trial. Visit barebones.com. Download your free trial of BB Edit. Check it out. You get it for 30 days. And then after that, uh, it's 50 bucks. But uh, I think that's short money for all the stuff that, that BB Edit can do for you. Our thanks to Barebones Software and BB Edit for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. Now, let's go to Rachel, shall we? Rachel writes... Wait a minute. Where is Rachel? There she is. I was wondering if you could help me with the last steps as I'm trying to disable iCloud from my iPhone and my MacBook. My goal is to eventually just use iCloud for my phone backup and use an external drive or something else for my MacBook. I've been reading the article that I put up. Uh, she says how to safely disable iCloud photo library and reclaim space for iCloud. But I'm stuck at the end of it because there's not enough space on my Mac to download a second copy of all my photos. I think I have all the photos on my Mac already, but I don't know. So I feel like I'd be OK skipping this step, but I want to make sure I have the full resolution photos on my Mac before I delete them from the cloud. I'm wondering if there's a way I can look through my photos and see if the full resolution version is still there in photos. I did download some photos from iCloud and check the size versus the size of the photo on my Mac. And the photos on my Mac seem to be bigger than the same photo downloaded from iCloud, 8 megs versus 5 megs. I know that there is a setting to download originals to my Mac to use before disabling iCloud. But I tried that and let it run for a couple of weeks and it appears to still be running, but I'm not sure. Any advice? So yeah, that download originals to Mac should work, uh, but obviously it's not. Uh, one thing I can advise is that even after you disable iCloud photo library, that stuff will live in the iCloud web interface available for you to download for 30 days. My advice in this scenario, especially since it sounds like there might be something uh, corrupted, I don't, and I don't even know that corrupted is the right word, but there's something weird about that particular Mac and that particular photo library is you can do one of two things. Number one, download all the photos, use Safari to download all the photos to a different drive, right? Where you might have more room, like an external drive or something like that. Uh, and then you could import those back into photos after you've turned off iCloud photo library. So that'd be one way. The other way 
would be to take that photo library, quit iPhoto. Or sorry, why am I saying iPhoto? Quit photos, take that library, copy it, move it rather to a, an external drive so that it's, you still have it, but it's out of the way. Create a new library with photos, which should happen automatically if you've moved that out of the way. But if it doesn't, pull down the option key, uh, I believe, right, John, when you, when you launch photos. And that'll let you create a new library. Create a new library, attach that to your iCloud photo library, and let it slurp all your photos and albums and everything back down into that. As long as you've got download originals to this Mac checked, now you're not trying to merge the two. Now it's just bringing down a clean copy of what's on iCloud. Once you've got that, then, then I'd feel really safe about, about turning off uh, iCloud photo library. What do you think, John? Tricky. <clears throat> I like it. <clears throat> As you know, I'm not a uh, current user. Right. But oh, I, I right. remember I this about that. Yeah. But I remember the same thing is that I think I, uh, I had, it was inadvertently enabled when I did the last, I think when I upgraded to iOS nine, it uh, enabled it. And I'm like, Oh man, I don't want this. So I turned it off and the same thing. Um, you know, the web interface, uh, yeah. make it very clear. Hey, you got 30 days, 29, 28. Right. 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 Um, the thing is I knew I had all the full resolution photos that sure. I, I wanted. They were, they were still on my phone. Sure. And, uh, in addition to be backed up via Dropbox and I think Flickr. So I'm like, yep, yeah, I'm cool. Yeah, yeah, right. You got them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So I have a I have a different rant, John. And and this was something that, that you and I saw each other on, on Thursday. We got together and went to a Pepcom show in uh, in New York. And while we were waiting for the doors to open to Pepcom, we were standing there with Harris Vogel. And he was talking about how he had to restore from a backup and realized that his backup had a bunch of corrupted data on it and all of that stuff. And and then we started talking about how stuff can just go missing uh, from not only your, your main drive, but if you are backing up a drive that now no longer has what you want, that data is gone. And and I know this is all obvious, right? And And with your backups, you should be verifying them occasionally to make sure that they match whatever they're backing up. But what if you delete a major folder of things from your drive without, you know, unintentionally? And then, of course, that gets backed up and then you're screwed. And that happened to me a couple of years ago. I have a folder of all the presentations I've ever done. Right. Um, and, you know, for like trade shows and user group meetings and all that stuff, conferences, whatever it is, I just have one folder of it. And I went to make a new one one year. And it was probably about this time of year, fall maybe. And like the folder's gone. I went to save it in the folder. I'm like, it's gone. What's going on here? And I look and it's it's not there. When I look at my backup from a month before, it's not there. I look at my backup from six months before and it's there. So I had to pull it over and, you know, I don't think I lost anything. But I have no idea when this folder got removed. Now, I know that I probably did it. I, I probably was just going through doing stuff quickly in my documents and, and, and tossed it. Right. You know, I, I highlighted the wrong thing and, and away it went. Nothing told me that I did this. Now I know it's my fault, but I feel like some back backup software, especially like a clone thing where I'm backing up every day. And, and so I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I send this segment to the, the folks that, that make, uh, you know, at Bombic software that make carbon copy cloner and Dave Nanian who, who makes uh, super duper, and 
I, I feel like there, there's an opportunity here for a backup vendor to, especially a clone piece that, you know, a piece of cloning software to say, Hey, wait a minute. Um, this one major folder that's been here for a long time, or, you, you know, the difference between yesterday's clone and today's clone was a massive number of documents. Uh, just wanted to alert you to that. Now, sometimes that's going to happen. You know, you do an OS upgrade and there's a massive number of documents that are different. But by and large, your system shouldn't change all that much from day to day, right? I mean, we're talking about a couple of documents here and there, but especially things that have been deleted or replaced. Uh, stuff that's been edited, okay, fine. But stuff that's been deleted or replaced, I feel like there's it's a pretty easy test to do, especially with, you know, again, these these clones that have the option to then also have, you know, like a safety net or whatever that is. Yeah, I, I would like to just get a note that says like just, you know, I get a note that says your clone succeeded successfully uh, or or succeeded or failed. You, you know, I, I, I get those notes every day. I would like to get one that says, hey, just highlights. Lots of files went missing overnight. Just wanted to make sure you knew about that. And then that's it. You know, hmm. that, that's okay. Because as you pointed out, Carbon Copy Cloner already does that. They have something called Safety Net. Well, right. But I don't know when to use they, the yeah. Safety Net. That's the thing. Yeah. Well, it's kind of automatic. No, 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 no. I don't know when to worry I think what, about I think going in want, there. I, I like, think what you want is a notification. A notification. If, yeah. If there's a significant amount yeah. Of data being put in safety net. Right. Right. And maybe right. some conditions around it. There yeah, you go. a good idea. Yeah. 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 Because I yeah. do. I get an email every day for three different machines. Lisa's computer, the one here in the studio, and the one in my office that run uh, at the currently they, they all run carbon copy cloner. And uh, and I get a note every day that tells me how long the copy took, whether it succeeded, how many files were copied. That's great. But it what it doesn't tell me is how many files were deleted like how many are different you know what i mean so mm -hmm. that's um how yeah how much was put in the safety net that would be it and you know have a, a threshold where if it's above a certain number uh put it in red or you know highlight it in the email or something it, you know that kind of thing i don't know that's that's my uh that's my thought yeah i'm gonna have to dig into my safety net because i'm having an issue right now where uh one of my parallels virtual machines uh is uh messed up oh well it's the windows 7 one the thing is when i say update windows components it just kind of sits there forever and ever and ever and they have a repair tool and it uh you know supposedly will try to repair the uh, windows update facility but it says yeah i fixed most of it but there's still these parts that are screwed up um i restored from the earliest time machine backup i had of it and it's still corrupt but i think i may have it further back sure on, my carbon copy cloner backup. Sure. Or I may just want to, I mean, you know, Windows 7. I, I have an XP, Windows 7, and Windows 10. I mean, I just have Windows 7 just, yeah, you know, to get okay. some hands on with it. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Though 10 is the latest. Maybe I should just abandon it. 10 and is. And I have um, the XP one just, just, just because. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. No, I get it. I get it. All right. Okay. So back to photos and phones. We've got Robbie here with uh with yet another similar question he says i ran into an odd issue with my iphone 6s where it would shut down whenever the battery was set at or below 28 percent. a visit at the genius bar did not solve my problem the genius suggested i delete all my settings as a first step 
And if that did not work to completely erase the phone and not sync it back or restore from a backup after backing up my iPhone to iTunes. And for the first time, my photos to the photos app in OS 10 or Mac OS, I took the plunge and reset the phone. My issue now relates to my photos. I was able to use iTunes to sync my newly blank iPhone with the photos library on my computer. However, Almost all pictures that were imported to the phone now show up in the places folder within photos and not in my camera roll. This does not allow me to view my pictures in chronological order where the pictures were taken is irrelevant to me. How can I get all my photos into one folder? Even if it's not the camera roll that shows them in chronological order without having to restore my phone to a backup I created in a prior version. Would iCloud sync solve this issue? So yeah, iCloud photo library would definitely solve this issue because now it, you you have the one photo library that that sort of rules them all. Um, the camera roll is just that things that that particular camera knows that it has taken. Um, and so by wiping the phone and restoring the pictures back, effectively, the, the phone has decided, yeah, that those weren't taken in, in, in this version of this phone. So you're not going to see them in your camera roll. You should be able to see them in the all photos setting. If you go into photos, albums, all photos, you should be able to see that on your device. Now, John, I am running iCloud photo library, so I might be giving bad advice here. Do you see photos, albums, all photos on your iPhone? Can you check uh, that for us? I'm pretty sure that's where that's no, going to appear. I've seen the case. If I go to, yeah, it's kind of roundabout. So I go to camera. No, no, go to photos. Don't go to camera. Photos. No, and then I go to all all, uh, all photos, albums. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Photos, albums, all photos. Yeah, albums being the, the little tab in the lower right of your uh, of your photos app. So you do have an all photos album here, despite not running iCloud Photo Library, correct? Yes. All right. So that, that should work for you, Robbie. I hope it does anyway. So there we go. All right. Anything else to add on this before we move on to Michael? No, I think. Okay. Mm, I mean, oh. iMazing does some photo management too. Uh, iMazing, yeah, it, it can put so. stuff back on, but that's where it's going to put it is in the all photos thing. Although you probably, I haven't tried iMazing to repopulate the camera roll, but I feel like maybe that would work. All right, we'll um, we'll test that. In the meanwhile, we'll jump to Michael here. Michael asks, it's driving me crazy. While I'm at my desk, I like to listen to iTunes. I have a JBL speaker that is Bluetooth capable and also directly plugged in via a head or a, a, a physical audio cable to the headphone port on my mid 2012 MacBook Pro. I'm running the latest versions of Sierra and iTunes in sound preferences, system preferences sound. I have the headphones port chosen as the output. So I assume this means I have a direct connection to the speaker so that Bluetooth would not matter. It seems like I'm getting Bluetooth interference, though, and that's assuming there is such a thing as Bluetooth interference. Periodically, on a somewhat random basis, the sound will drop out completely. If I go to the sound preferences and toggle between Bluetooth and the headphone port, no change. Pause and play song in iTunes, no change. The weird part is that if I try to get a system sound out to the speaker, it works fine at this point. Eventually, after 30 seconds or so, the sound comes back from iTunes and it plays as expected for a time and then cuts out again. I've removed the speaker from being connected via Bluetooth with no change. I have tried several other speakers with the same behavior happening. 
I've switched out the cord between the speaker and the headphone jack. I have tried to only connect via Bluetooth with no change. I do not have Growl or any other notification software interrupting iTunes. Any idea what's going on? So, yeah. Um, so Bluetooth interference is definitely a real thing. And there's lots of things that can interfere with it. It runs at the 2.4 megahertz range. Gigahertz. Sorry. I, as soon as I said it, I knew that you were going to correct me. Um, <laughs> but, but I thank you. Um, 2.4 gigahertz range. Yeah, 2.4 megahertz would be different. And uh, and so Wi-Fi can get in the way, you know, cordless phones, if you still use those, microwave ovens, uh, you know, all that stuff. USB hard drives. No, that's only five gigahertz that gets in the way of, right? Yeah, USB three drives. But anyway, yes, there it is a very real thing. In fact, you know, large um, vessels of water, i.e. human bodies, can cause Bluetooth problems, too. If you've got, you know, your your phone in your left pocket and your Bluetooth headset on your right ear, Sometimes even that uh, won't work or will get staticky or cut out because you're in the way. Uh, so Bluetooth interference is real. Have you and I'm fairly convinced that that speaker that iTunes is talking to that speaker via Bluetooth. Have you tried turning Bluetooth off entirely on your Mac? If you go into system preferences, Bluetooth and just turn it off. I realize this might not be possible even for a test if you're keyboard or mouse or any of those devices are also Bluetooth um, that that doesn't work so well, but, but that would be one thing to test to see if that solves the problem. Um, and it's because it does sound like iTunes is choosing to stream over Bluetooth, regardless of the fact that it's also that speaker is also plugged into your headphone port. iTunes is a little bit different for Bluetooth stuff. Bluetooth and airplay devices show up in iTunes just to the left of what I'll call the, the iTunes, sort of title bar so in the center of the top of your itunes window is if you're not doing anything an apple logo but otherwise it's showing you the status either of the song that's playing or the files that are downloading or the movie that's being synced or whatever you know whatever it is that itunes is doing it shows you in the middle just to the left of that there's a little i don't even know what to call this icon but it's a it's a little triangle at the bottom with emanating circles from the top and that's where you choose what device or devices are going to be playing your music or your audio from iTunes. And you can choose a Bluetooth speaker here or an AirPlay speaker here without it impacting the rest of your system settings. So it sounds like iTunes is choosing your Bluetooth speaker here. Go up, choose built-in headphones here and see if that solves your problem. That would that's that's my advice on this one. Otherwise, I really don't know what to do, but uh, but hopefully that does it. Any thoughts on this one, John, before we move on? I wonder what that icon is called. Yeah, the triangle with the with the circles. It's the triangle with the circles. Yeah, that's what I'm calling it. Yeah. Yeah, um, I don't know what usually that's called. If you hover Oh, yeah, usually if you hover over something you get a, a tool some sort of description. Right yeah, exactly. Well, it says choose which speakers to use. Right. In my case it says computer, Apple TV and JB Airplay. Right, right, right. Those are all Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah they're AirPlay devices. I don't yeah. have any. Yeah, I don't, okay. So if you have Bluetooth speakers, they'll show up there as well. Okay. Yeah, that's good to yeah. know. But yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't have any yet. Right, right. Are not paired to that Mac. Yep. All right, um, Andrew. Let's talk a bit about Andrew here. He asks, "Where are we here?" Is optimized storage on macOS Sierra off by default or not? I investigated this feature and found that some selections are checked by default. However, I am not sure if it is actually running. 
I think there should be a clear off and on button so that you can make selections as to when optimized storage is running. And yeah, it, it's true. So you go, if you go to about this Mac and this is only in Sierra, well, at the moment, I don't know when you're going to be listening to the show. If it's 10 years from now, well, that's different. But at the moment, only in Sierra, about this Mac storage manage uh, or if you go to system information, if you launch that app, go to the window menu and choose storage management. Uh, there is a screen that shows several things store in iCloud, optimize storage, empty trash automatically and reduce clutter. And with optimized storage, there is the optimize dot, dot, dot button uh, that can bring up some of this stuff, but you can also go to iCloud drive options where you can see whether or not you have desktop and documents folders synced photos option shows you whether or not you have iCloud photo enabled. And that's what, um, what a lot of this stuff is. It gets very, very strange. Um, this, this storage management menu is really just sort of a top level interface that turns on a bunch of options or that gives you the, the ability to turn on a bunch of options that in order to then disable, you need to go into their specific places. And that's why uh, you can still go to iCloud and turn on iCloud drive and then specifically choose what you're syncing to iCloud drive with options. Again, with photos, the same sort of thing. So yeah, it's a little confusing. And even getting to this window is a little confusing because there's two ways to get there and none of them are obvious. What do you think about this, John? Yeah, I agree with you. Because yeah. I actually, I did choose the, uh, so because I now have the uh, 50 gig uh, iCloud. Right. Um, I decided, hey, let me do this uh, iCloud drive thing. So yeah, as you say, you click on iCloud drive and then options. And there's a checkbox for desktop and documents. Right. And I clicked on it and it did something kind of unexpected. It did it reshuffled things on my computer. <clears throat> and then it created a folder called documents. Sure. Dash MacBook Pro. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy it's also stuff. up in the cloud, which, uh, yeah. So the thing is I had to actually create a new um, shortcut in my sidebar because the old one kind of changed its nature. <laughs> right right yeah exactly exactly the, the documents folder i mean i mean it's is it still no it, it did move it yeah 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 it's nuts so yeah manage all that stuff feel free to turn it on here or see the advice is sort of a i'm not even sure that that's the right word but but feel free to turn it on here but then go and manage it in the other places all right john it's time to do some cool stuff found here because because uh, that's what we do sometimes. Patrick says, uh, where's my uh, where's my cursor here? Oh, I see your cursor. Patrick writes, uh, did you know that Amazon Cloud allows upload of folders? If you're using it in Chrome, every other browser will only let you upload files. And I did not know that. So thank you, Patrick. Patrick's from, uh, from Mac Ovation. So if you are in the Louisiana, Shreveport, Louisiana area, uh, check out Mac Ovation. Uh, thank you for that tip, Patrick. That's awesome. Great, great stuff. I love, I love little tips like that. And it's, just, yeah, some things, I mean, every browser, you know, they all support sort of a basic feature set, but you can write things specifically for different browsers. And Chrome seems to get a lot of, 
kind of the obviously non-Apple stuff. There are things that Safari is the only browser to work for it, like streaming the, an Apple um, live event can only work in Safari. At least I've never been able to make it work in another browser. Have you, John? Mm, I'm trying to. All right. Uh, as mentioned earlier, James suggests that uh, we all should go read this great infographic that Otherworld Computing has made at their max blog.maxsales.com site, but we'll put it in the uh, in the show notes and, of course, here in the chapters and timestamps for you. Beautiful infographic showing all the cables that look exactly the same and do different things. So very, very cool. Thank you so much to uh, to you, James, for for sharing this and then also to Otherworld Computing for creating it. So very good stuff. Did you check that out, that infographic, John? Uh, no. No. All right. Well, I don't need to yet. I, I don't, right. That's right. I don't have, I don't need to, I'm, I'm a bit behind the curve there. I don't have any USB-C devices. The only USB-C device I have, I believe, is my Apple TV 4. And that, that only, I only need to use USB-C with that if I'm uploading like a beta version to it or need to do any diagnostics uh, or grab, uh, grab screenshots that, you know, th- so the, here's, here's a tip for you. If, uh, if you want to, if you have an Apple TV four and you want to grab screenshots, uh, direct from the TV, plug in a USB-C to USB-A cable into your Mac, right? So, uh, it and any i mean i bought a cheap one from amazon or something but uh plug that cable in then run quicktime uh the quicktime player and oh where's the option quicktime player if you go to new screen recording you can choose what screen you want to record from and boom there is your apple tv in a window so you can take screenshots of that window and now uh, you've got screenshots from your Apple TV. You can do that from your iPhone too. If you do the, the same thing, if you plug your iPhone in, you know, obviously lightning or, or 30 pin, if you've got an older iPhone, plug it in and, and you're good to go. So, um, so there's a little tip less from, I believe less writes. He said, Walmart carries a great line of products called black web. I bought one of their, MFI certified lightning to USB cables. And I recommend you guys all take a look. I have bought non MFI cables that look good, but the connector bends easily and comes apart into pieces very quickly. Walmart's black web connector is a one piece and the collar is small, allowing charging and syncing on an iPad pro, even while it's still in its case. These cables are four feet long instead of three feet or one meter and it's flat. So it won't tangle. The price is 10 bucks, which is a little more than you pay for a non-MFI cable at a gas station and a lot less than a shorter cable from Apple. Like you guys, I'm both big fans. Uh, I, I am a big fan of Anchor products, but this looks like a less expensive alternative to their lightning cable. Cool. Thanks, Les. Very, very cool stuff. Walmart. There you go. Maybe uh, Black Friday, you can go to Walmart and fight the crowds for black web <laughs> lightning cables. <laughs> no. You could. You know, we've made a family tradition of going to like our, our mall here opens late on uh, on Thanksgiving night. So after we've had, you know, dinner and dessert and we're all like sugared up and can't sleep yet and and all of that, we go uh, we go to the mall late and it's actually kind of fun. It's not overly packed. I mean, there's people there for sure, but it's not like mayhem and uh, it's sort of the pre Black Friday sales. So I don't know, it's just, it's just become kind of a fun thing to go and check out and we come home and we sleep in. You want to take us to uh, to your? I'm going to take you somewhere, Dave. Great. 
All right, so I'm always seeking the truth. Right. Now, I some may notice. argue that the truth is absolute. Some may say that the truth is relative. You will never know I, an absolute truth. Now we're going to get into uh, philosophy. I would say, uh, how can anybody be enlightened? The truth is, after all, so poorly lit. Okay. Okay. I don't know where that's from. No. But, um, well, there's a tool that I used, and I used it uh, for, for a couple of applications as of late. And I'll, I'll make this, I'll, I'll promise I'll try to make this as quick as possible. So one was a LinkedIn invite that I got. You know, so-and-so would like to connect with you on LinkedIn. Sure. So I clicked on their invite link, and I saw that they uh, already were linked to uh, a couple of people that I work with in a a past uh, corporate life. But their profile picture just seemed kind of off in that it was was like a glamour shot, like a a model. I was like, you know, that's not right. And I looked at their background. It was kind of generic. And the thing is, I didn't know this person as far as I know. So I'm like, you know what? Let me take the photo. And so you can do this in pretty much any browser. So I right-clicked on the photo, said save image. And where I went, Dave, was tineye.com. What is tineye, you ask? Well, tineye is a reverse image search, which as of this moment has 16.5 billion images indexed and growing. That's cool. what they claim. Sure. So I pasted the image in there and it did its search. And uh, as it turns out, this... Uh, Picture was of Miss Teen New York City in 1990-something. And I'm like, all right, so either this person, either it was a bogus uh, LinkedIn account, and I reported it as such, uh, or this person liked to use a glamour shot that wasn't them for their profile, which, uh, don't do that. Right. (laughs) Right. Wait, I'm not supposed to use her picture as my my avatar on Twitter, John? Yeah, I, I I just don't get it. So either, even if the person was a fan, you know, don't share sure. someone else's picture for your avatar. That's just a bad idea. And eventually it looks like they deactivate the account. I, yeah. I wasn't sure of the motivation. Another one, it came up where I saw, you know, someone had posted a picture and they were like, well, this is a supporter of candidate A and they're doing something unspeakable to a poster of candidate B and this shows why these people are horrible, blah, blah, blah. And it was retweeted by someone who I will consider not a journalist, but a entertainer. Um, okay. Because journalists are supposed to fact check. And so I took the picture and I'm like, you know, let me see if it really is, um, you know, what this what person said it, it was. Sure. And I pasted it uh, into Tenai. Um, There's another engine I'll tell you about in a moment. But I pasted it in, Dave. And as it turns out, no, it wasn't uh, something from the current campaign. It was actually uh, a photo that was taken in of an event that occurred in 2012 in the country of Mexico. Ah, so, and I kind of got back to the person. I'm like, yeah, nice try. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, again, you know, check Spread your facts. the truth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now there's another one. Uh, so 10 is, is the one my go-to. Uh, another one is if you go to image.google.com, they offer very similar functionality as well. And that you can either paste in a link for an image or just uh, upload the image. And it'll tell you, here's the other places that I found it. Right. So between those two, uh, if you want to find out the source of an image, uh, they're almost certainly going to find it if if it's from the past. So if right, it's a fresh one. They won't. So with Google Image Search at, at that page, you have to choose the little camera icon to search by image. Otherwise, you will just be searching for images that match your search terms. But if you hit the little camera, then you get the option to either paste a URL to an image and it will find you other instances of that one, or as John said, uh, you can upload an image there. So, yeah, very, very cool stuff. Yeah, Google it's, Image Search. I, it, you know, I, I'd never heard of Tin Eye until you mentioned it the other day. But um, 
but Google image search I use all the time to kind of, you know, find stuff. And it's just so much candy. fun. I mean, I feel like a, a, a detective and actually right. I am being a detective. Yeah. Like, where did this image come from? Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool stuff. And I see TinEye. I don't know if uh, Google has this, but TinEye I, I notice here, they actually have browser plugins for Firefox, Chrome, oh. Safari, and Opera. So you can uh, quickly, so you don't cool. even have to go to their webpage. I guess you could just uh, install the plugin and, uh, and, and do your thing. Cool. All right. Uh, Bruce writes in and says, Apple's procedure for repairing user permissions as opposed to system permissions has been the same since introducing the recovery partition, which is to boot from there, run terminal, and then type in reset password, all one word, which would then open that utility. This behavior has changed in Sierra with a new version of that utility. The UI is much more friendly, but Apple has removed some functionality, including the ability to change the root password and repairing user permissions is no longer an option. Sigh for that. I now return to Yasu for Mac or yet another system utility for Mac, which is at Yasu for Mac.com. Well, here's the thing. So we've, this is a cool stuff found revisited because uh, we've talked about Yasu before, but it's come and gone. Uh, the development of it, you know, at times has, has not been up to speed with whatever the current OS is. And then sometimes it is now it is here uh, again for us. And yeah, I love Yasu. It's so simple and, and yet lets you do so many cool things and resetting your home folder permissions, which is very different from resetting system permissions, which really you, you can do in Sierra, but and El Capitan, but it's kind of not really there. Uh, but it also lets you run some of your system scripts and clear out caches and remove logs and those sorts of things. But the resetting of home folder permissions, very, very handy and very, very helpful at times. Whatever uh, system integrity protection does to make sure you don't need to reset your system permissions does not mean that your home folder permissions will remain uh, the way you want them or the way you should have them. And, uh, and Yasu can, can help do that. So thank you, Bruce, for bringing this back to our attention. I love, uh, I love that kind of stuff. And then John moving on to Joel, who had a great tip of cool stuff found uh, actually in the post show. So he was, uh, Joel is often a listener in our chat room here at, uh, slash stream. And Joel recommended Sonic Pi at sonic pi.net. A, the live coding music synth for everyone. Uh, and you can learn to code creatively by composing or performing music in an incredible range of styles. It's very, very cool. Um, you can download it for Raspberry Pi, which I believe is where its name came from. But uh, but it's also available for Mac So and compiled 64-bit and all that good stuff. And you can just go and download it. So we will put a link to that in the show notes because... It's cool, and you've got to check it out. So thank you very, very kindly, Joel, for uh, for hipping us to that. We like we like cool stuff. Truly cool stuff found. A revisit, I believe, but always a good one. Uh, Palm suggests VNC from real VNC on iOS to connect to a Mac running Apple's screen sharing. He says it can be used instead of screens, and it's free. So we will put a link to that in the show notes too. Thank you so much, Palm, for uh, for for hipping us, rehipping us to that. We mentioned screens in the recent show, and uh, and we didn't mention real VNC. So 
Thank you for that My reminder. My only concern with VNC is that you may want to be careful because I believe the VNC protocol. Well, that's what he's saying. It's not using, I mean, it is, but it's connecting to the very same screen sharing in iOS, real VNC or in, in Mac OS, real VNC for iOS right. will connect to Well, that. you didn't let me finish. Is Go that ahead. I believe the VNC protocol, uh, of its own, I don't think is terribly secure. Right. So if you if you are going to use VNC to connect to something, you may want to make sure you have uh, a VPN or some other security layer. Right. Because um, I think someone could potentially uh, look at the VNC traffic and, uh, and and find out all your secrets. Yeah. In fact, that's what uh, what happened. What was it? Three or four shows ago, we had that listener whose Mac had been totally hacked because. Um, he had opened up that that VNC port from to the outside world. So yeah, definitely using a VPN would be uh, would be a huge huge thing there for sure. Yeah, cool stuff. You're right, John. Yeah, yeah. All right, where else? Or as we, we get from, uh, we talked about our chat room, didn't we? Which we did. Nice. I did. Yeah. yeah. But they said uh, SSH tunnel for those that are. Uh, it's getting kind of geeky. That um, is something maybe not everyone knows what that is but an ssh tunnel is uh also another secure way to uh yep to connect your computer yeah yeah an ssh yeah we can put a link in the show notes to how you might set that up um if your if your isp allows ssh in yeah 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 i don't like anything that exposes my mac directly though and you probably need to expose your mac directly for an ssh tunnel so but yeah i don't know that's sort of my thing. VPN, much better. But not every router supports it. We'll talk. Actually, we'll we'll kind of have a an addendum about about VPNs if uh, if we can fit it into the router episode next week. I think there's there's actually a lot of addendums, switches and VPNs and all sorts of very related things. So, Robin writes, "Where is Robin? I had it, and then I lost it." John, these cool stuff found things go quickly. Uh, the Huawei, Huawei Mate Dock USB-C multi-port adapter. Uh, Robin says this is the device that anyone who is panicking about the lack of ports on the new MacBook Pro needs to have because it's available now. Spotted it on Amazon and it arrived this morning. Um, I do have a, a 2015 MacBook, so I hooked it up. The device itself is quite small, but it does what the fancy leather case uh, it, uh, it does what it does. Uh, hang on it's very sort of chopped up review here of this thing uh we'll put a link to it on amazon 89 bucks and it's uh usb-c cable connected to this thing uh it's got two usb3 ports and an ethernet port and uh and a vga port and an hdmi port so not everything but uh can get you some stuff with your usb again this is usb-c not Thunderbolt, so it would work on the new MacBook Pros or the MacBooks uh, with USB, and so it's like a it's like a mini portable dock is essentially what it becomes, I think. So the Huawei, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, where is it here? Who? I think that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. But uh, very good. Thank you very much, Robin. So for eighty nine bucks, you can get your portable docking needs set up there. So very cool. It's a brave new USB C world that we're living in, Mr. Braun. I'm living in the past. 
I know, same. But <laughs> uh, but eventually we'll all be there. It's I think it's good. It's just you know, change is always hard, right? That's the that's sort of the issue. Is change is not always good. Sometimes change is terrible. I, those people that say change is good, no, no, it's stressful and you know, yeah. freaks people out. Yeah, but it's all it's right. important. It's it, it's the it's the only thing we can count on, John. Uh, we've got some time here, I believe, for a couple of tips. In fact, I know we have some time for a couple of tips. You want to take us to yeah. Giles? I got a quickie. I, I got this again out of Twitter, Dave. Twitter's just amazing. It is. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes it's aggravating. Um, but it was from Giles. And it was actually in a response to, I think we were talking about getting a, a certain piece of Apple equipment repaired. Sure. And he came back and he said, oh, yeah, you know, to get this certain device. Uh, uh, and he's from across the pond. Okay. Um, but he said, yeah, it costs uh, this many pounds to get this sort of repair done for this Apple device. And I'm like, well, how did you know that? And, well, he linked to an article. Now, I always thought the, the flat rate pricing was kind of a, you know, people talked about in hush whispers, you know, in the, in the back room of the Apple stores and stuff. And they would never advertise this fact. Well, I was wrong because they do. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if they've always done this. I don't think they have, Dave. Um, but I didn't see a date on the article. The thing is, so if, if you search... Uh, so I did a sample here. So if you Google iPad service pricing, it comes up with an article. Uh, in this case, it's support.apple.com slash iPad slash repair slash service slash pricing. And that's where it is. And similar will come up for other Apple devices. I think I did it for iPhone, and, and uh, I'm sure it'll work for, for others. But they tell you, okay, to get the screen fixed, it'll cost this much. To get the battery replaced, it'll cost this much. And for the flat rate repair, or out of warranty repair is what they call it, um, it costs this much. Yeah, so the one for Max is limited to only battery pricing is, is all that you see online. So the, the there's a page for Mac notebooks and it lists everything from the 11 inch air up to the, you know, 15 inch MacBook pro with retina display display. And all it lists here is battery pricing. There's no flat rate repair for the system. So, so that is not published by Apple, but, huh. uh, but some of the stuff is, yeah. But for the, for the iPad, it definitely is. For the iPad, it is. the price that yep. I was quoted when I, you know, went a while back. I, yep. it's, uh, for my model, it's 249. Yeah. Um, and there are certain conditions, you know, it, you can't have thrown it off of, you know, it, it can't be like in, in pieces. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And it can't have water damage either, I don't think. So, yeah, I think it has to be in a state where they can just pop it open, replace the. Uh, well, it has to be, it has to be in a state that it would have qualified for warranty pricing if your warranty was still in effect. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, that's really what it is, is, is you're buying Apple Care once for that particular device essentially is, you know, a good way to look at it. So if, if Apple care would have kicked in, then right. There is this flat rate and it does exist for IMAX. And uh, I believe it's it exists for IMAX. Actually, I may have misspoke on that. Maybe somebody can clarify that for IMAX, but it definitely exists for Mac laptops, even though it's not on that website. Um, and, and, but again, it's not always, you have to be in the right sort of, you know, um, uh, range for that to for that to kick in yeah i don't i don't know that it exists on imax i may have misspoke on that so yeah all right good stuff moving on more tips uh 
in fact, one from an Apple genius that um, we will leave nameless who writes a few thoughts from recent shows. Genius bars will always support you on older equipment. And we were talking about a 2009 MacBook Pro, even if it is legacy or vintage or obsolete or whatever. They love a challenge. And certainly there are a couple of old timers there that used to work on them. Even if they can't open them up or order parts, they will still help you as much as they can. Regarding your discussion on iOS diagnostics, I don't think a diagnostic file is stored on the device. If the user approved it, we could execute a diagnostic run on the device remotely. It would then upload uh, to an Apple server where it could be pulled remotely or at any Genius Bar if the case number was, was known. The report was used to search for some key info regarding service. And, uh, and uh this particular genius says regarding the new notebook product line. Yes, the lineup seems fragmented. Now it's intentional. This is Apple's way of rolling out and ramping up new tech as we were just saying and testing the market. And don't worry, they won't pull a Coke classic and go back uh, from USB-C. No, I don't think they will. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Yeah. Um, so yes. Yeah, there you go. Um, the Apple will not throw all their eggs into one basket by transforming the entire product line at once. And that does make sense. We shall see. So thank you for that comment. Good to know that you might be able to find someone at the Genius Bars who's interested and willing to work on or diagnose your old machine. Fun stuff. Patrick uh, helps us out here. We, were, we mentioned Tech Tool Pro in a recent show. And as soon as I told uh, the folks at Micromat about it, they confirmed what Patrick uh, was, had, wrote, had written. He says, uh, I've used Tech Tool Pro since the 90s and love it. But you need to warn your listeners, they have not yet updated their software to work with Sierra. Can you light a fire under their fireplace? And yes, we can. In fact, it's already lit. They, they lit it themselves. And, uh, and we should have Sierra support soon. My guess is, and this is my guess, not theirs, but by, before the end of the year, we'll have Tech Tool Pro supporting Sierra fully. So it will warn you upon launch, which is really fantastic that it does not support Sierra yet, which is, which is good because you don't want to run something is not qualified by the, by the vendor, especially something like utility software. You all right, John? Yeah. No, I had Onyx do that after I had upgraded to Sierra. Oh yeah. Right. I didn't upgrade Onyx and it's like, Nope. Yep. Yep. Um, James has an interesting scenario that we'll share. James runs pop for his mail, not IMAP. And he says, I'm using Mail Steward Pro to back up my Apple Mail. I have found that Apple Mail does not delete the mail that you tell it to delete. I don't know if it deletes any of it ever or if it just fails to delete all of it. However, I do know that it does not delete all that it has been instructed to delete. And this, to my mind, is a security breach by Apple. I use pop, as, he, as I said he says, uh, not IMAP, because I don't want my mail stored on my ISP servers nor shared with other devices. I want control of my mail. It only comes to one machine. I also deal with sensitive documents, client privilege, etc., and don't want to share with anyone else. When I delete something, I expect it to be gone. But recently, while archiving my email, I noticed some item in the progress window, which I know I had previously deleted, and it was showing up as being archived. So first, I searched within Apple Mail for the items, and I didn't find them. I then searched the Mail Steward Pro database and found the items along with the file path to the item in Apple Mail. Following that path, I came to the .emix file, which actually I believe it's emlx, but uh, 
no matter, which then opened up with a text editor was in fact the message that I had deleted. Not cool. So just as a heads up to those listeners who are security conscious, the files stored in the mail database are not indexed by spotlight. Once they're marked as deleted are not searchable by find any file, but they are still there at least for a while. Mail steward pro reads everything and archives the files, making them searchable within its MySQL database. So yeah, there might be some purging that happens or expunging, I should say operation that happens after the deletion happens, right? So while you're going through and triaging your mail and moving things around, you hit delete. It marks it as deleted, uh, obviously removes it from all your searches and all that, but it doesn't necessarily at that point in time, go through and take that file and throw it away. Uh, and this is, this is not uncommon from a, 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 an efficiency standpoint when you're coding something, uh, do the minimum necessary at the moment and then have a background task that hopefully fires up and goes through and actually processes, you know, the kind of the moving files and all of that stuff from the deletion, maybe, maybe right away, but also maybe when the system is idle or whatever down the road. Sounds like from what James is saying, this might never be happening, especially for mail that's stored as pops so or just stored locally only. So thank you for that, James. So I guess mail steward pro or, or hunting around in, in mail's, file database which is sort of a mess would be the only way to find those so interesting stuff john thoughts on this hmm yeah all right well i'll i'll buy it i mean i'm, I I'm just looking oh, I totally now i believe it yeah i mean i'm looking at i mean i'm wondering if you know something is set different in i look the there's, clients somewhere there's no setting for you know when that expunge operation happens so i don't know well, i mean well no i mean there is i mean if you go into mail and you click on the account and you go to mailbox behaviors it'll say for imap race. it'll say this oh but it doesn't for pop okay right but this yeah. is not this is that for imap is deleting from the server not locally so that's sort of the interesting thing i mean it happens in both places right because it's really it's a client server relationship, so it, it will delete. Well, it should because yeah. I mean the stuff is stored locally, as far as I know. I mean, right. if you look, but but you know, what he's and, saying is he's emptied the trash in mail, and mm -hmm. it's you know the the message is not yeah. there in his trash anymore, and yet the file still exists on his drive. That's that's sort of the the disappointing part for for James. Yeah, I seem to recall there being a settings. Somewhere was it with spotlight where you could say, yeah, don't, you know, don't yeah. try not to find, you know, certain things. Well, and that, it, but it's not right. It's, it's, I mean, spotlight's being marked no, not to look not. at this file, but it's, it's mail steward that, you know, just goes and slurps everything. So right. yeah, it, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, Michael says, I just wanted to let you know that I got 16 gigs of RAM recently for my mid-2012 MacBook Pro. It's like a new machine. Who needs a Touch Bar MacBook Pro for millions of dollars? My machine is screaming now. I know that John has the same one. Michael says, I had eight for uh, a little a little while and then bought another eight from OWC, or actually probably bought 16 and replaced the eight. He says, I love this machine, and I highly recommend it to anyone looking for a great bargain that runs Sierra like a champ, has four cores, 
and is more than capable at a one terabyte SSD like I did. And your computing needs are met for years to come. Thank you, John, for the suggestion of this Mac. And thank you, Michael, for the for the note that the bump from eight to 16 made a big difference for you. Uh, That's that's this kind of sort of experiential evidence. And, I you know, it's hard to uh, take confirmation bias out of it. But um, but in cases where you really truly can, yeah, please send in these notes and, and let us know whether you whether you do or don't notice a difference. When was it over the summer that I upgraded my two El Capitan iMacs, the the 27 inch from 2011 and the Retina from 2014? Um, Crucial, I was talking with Crucial, and they said, "Oh, you're only on 16 on those. You should be at 32." So they just sent me RAM. Right. I didn't buy it. I wasn't even really digging around asking for it. I didn't think I needed it, but they sent it to me. So I put it in. Actually, it sat here for like a week before I put it in. And it was amazing. The difference. I, I didn't expect a difference going from 16 to 32 um, because 16 is a lot. And I don't do things that are just like Ram hungry, except that it turns out I do. I run Safari and iTunes and I have a media library of photos and stuff on my Mac. And evidently Sierra's, I mean, I'm, I'm using less swap. It's insane that with 32 gigs of Ram on a computer and not doing, you know, like video editing or anything that my computer ever pages into swap, but uh, it's, it's still, even with 32 gigs, it's not rare that I'll have, you know, five, six gigs of swap used. And it's almost always because Safari is just like hogging up everything. Um, I, I've, I've seen it where, you know, I get to my desk and Safari's got like, you know, 10 gigs of RAM used or 12 gigs of RAM used. It's like, dude, no, no, stop it. It's crazy. I started using Marco Arment's Quitter. You know about that app, John? It's free and you can have it quit apps after the app itself has been dormant for a period of time you specify. So uh, with Safari, I have it quit after two hours. We mentioned it in a cool stuff found uh, a while back, but, uh, but basically that means that Safari will stay running while I'm at my desk all day, but overnight it will quit Safari. So every day I'm starting with a fresh, you know, launch of Safari, which helps with Ram usage, but still by the end of the day, like it's not rare that I wind up quitting Safari midday. Google docs is the big offender and, and iCloud documents would, would do the same thing, but any of these kind of, you know, edit inside the browser just starts gobbling up, like instantly gobbles up, you know, half a gig. It's insane. But that's how it goes. I don't know. Yep. 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 And you can still get that machine, Dave. I just found a place that has it. <laughs> Not from the Apple refurb store, right? I don't know if we're ever going to see it from the Apple refurb store right. again, but... Right. Um, I just did a quick search and, uh, and Gazelle actually still has the uh, oh, MacBook no Pro 15 inch mid 2012, uh, which is the machine we're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. For only, uh, yeah. For only a thousand bucks. No kidding. It's not a bad price though. I don't think if you get it from them, then I don't think you get, um, right. You, you can't, you, you don't qualify Apple. for Apple care. Right. Right. And they say, oh, give us a link to that, John. We'll put that in the show notes too. Very, very cool, man. Yeah. It's still, a, you know, for 2012, it's still a, Usable machine. It's totally Quite usable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's time to bring the band in, John. I got nothing else to say. And also our time here is done. Don't you think? Yeah. Our time here is done. So um 
What do we have to say? I don't think we need to tell people how to send us an email because we already told people. Well, we said it once. I said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Oh, okay. Well, then I just got to make sure not to say it more than one more time. Uh, Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's correct. And I I, want to point out premium at MacGeekGab.com is available for all of you who use or who support us directly with our premium offering. We have now moved... Uh, to a new system for processing new premium subscriptions. The existing ones that are on renewal and all of that uh, are currently still happening with the with the old system. Those will be migrated over, but uh, but we've oh, we've moved the anything new is happening through the new system. So it all happens through MacGeekGab.com, uh, but that will redirect you now to MacObserver.com/shop, which is using an engine uh, that's inside of WordPress now as opposed to the old one which was in our old expression engine engine and uh, and it's using a thing called WooCommerce which actually has worked fairly well so far so if you would like to support us directly and be uh, one of the first to use the new system we've test I was going to say and help us test it I'm not really worried about testing it we've actually done quite a bit of testing because this is important stuff and sensitive data and all that so we didn't want to it's why we why it took us so long to, to roll it out we did so much internal testing but please do if uh, if you have any interest in supporting us directly we would very much appreciate it in fact folks in this episode that are existing premium supporters Bruce the very first question that was asked Giles, Robbie, Michael, Andrew, uh, Robin, James, and Michael, and also Bruce in the middle. And I don't know if that's the same Bruce or two Bruce's. So I will thank you twice, Bruce, if in that if that's the case. Thank you all very very kindly uh, for your direct support, and thanks to everyone for your direct support. Very very humbling and uh, inspiring. It is uh, part of the thing that kind of keeps us doing what we do and. As a as a thank you gesture, we answer the questions that come into premium at MacGeekCup.com first. So anybody can call us at 224-888-GEEK, John, which is 4335. Indeed. I want to thank the folks at Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. And then, of course, our great sponsors in the podcast marketplace, uh, Starts with Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com, Barebones Software at Barebones.com, Videoblocks at Videoblocks.com slash MGG, Gazelle is a sponsor, Gazelle.com, FatCatSoftware.com slash MGG, SmileSoftware.com slash Geek, and Casper at Casper.com slash MGG. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sending in all your great questions and your great cool stuff found and your great tips. You all rock. If you are in the U S and, uh, and celebrating Thanksgiving this week, happy Thanksgiving. Otherwise to those of you that aren't have a wonderful Thursday and, uh, we'll see you next Sunday for our router deep dive. We'll talk a lot about mesh stuff in there, but a couple of other things too. Don't get caught. Made up.